Well, another Merry Christmas to you. I'm curious how many times you used the word Merry in the last year. It's not a common word, but we've used it for some 500 years as a culture, uh, as humans on this earth. Turn your Bibles to John 14. I want to welcome again our friends from Rome Baptist. I want to wel- welcome to all you visitors. We're grateful to see so many new faces. Although from, from here, the lights are uh, a bit intense, and I'm, I can't see much, and the glare off my head is probably worse yet, so <laughs> we'll deal with it. <clears throat> Today, I want to continue the theme that Phil talked about last night, that Jesus uh, meets our greatest need. We're going to go from the cradle to the cross and we're going to talk about the exalted Lord. This baby is, is uh, the song we just heard quotes Isaiah 9, verse 6. He's uh, a mighty God. It, in, unto us, listen to this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Those are two very different aspects of who we are talking about here in the Lord Jesus Christ. Child is born in his humanity. Son is given. He's eternal. And he comes. Eternality comes to meet and breathe the dust of earth. That's stunning. We're going to lift up his name today. And I'm going to give you some homework. When I was asked to speak to, uh, on, on this day, I, I chose this passage with, the, with this thought in mind. Parents, you need to hear this. Jesus meets all of our needs, and today's topic is I'm going to argue that Jesus answers the toughest questions you'll ever meet, and he meets all of your needs, the greatest needs that you have. As he answers those questions... You need to know these moms and dads because our culture is attacking our young people with, with falsehoods that are pretty difficult to fight against. A long time ago, I, I chose to, made this acronym OMEGA because Jesus' name is OMEGA, Alpha and Omega, but the acronym helped me remember these five uh, themes that I believe are universal to human culture any place, any time in human history. There are five questions I believe everyone asks. Why? Because the nature that God has put in our hearts. We ask these questions. So Omega is, a, is simply a tool I want to use to help you remember where we're going today but I, I want to I really encourage you to think about, too, these five questions. Where, origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Ethics, how do I li- get and live right? Going, where am I going when I die? And the last question, who has the authority to answer these questions? I want you to remember them. And <clears throat> I want... I want us to exalt the name of Jesus because of the way he answers these questions. And I chose John 14 
uh, as a passage to help us unpack this, these ideas because I believe not only do the, does this one verse, John 14, verse 6, answer those five questions, uh, I also believe the context is critical for us. You know, I've, I've been watching y'all, all y'all, uh, for you Texas folk and for you Tennessee folks that are watching. Uh, I've, been, I've been watching you. Not everybody is excited on Christmas morning. I've seen tears already. I know that there are some broken hearts in this room. Families have lost loved ones recently. The first Christmas is hard. There's distance in relationships. You might live close, but have an extensive distance between people. That brings hardship. Christmas time can be really, really hard. I had a friend one time that told me in church, he said, I hate Christmas. And uh, at the time, that, that shocked me. I was young. Well, I'm not anymore. Can you tell? And I have learned there's awful lot of reasons why people hurt at Christmas time. We need hope. We need answers. And King Christ gives us answers that are profound. And for every person here, you need it. You need to, to, to hear the answers. Well, he talks in John 14 to his disciples in the upper room, and these guys are a mess. They've watched Jesus. They've walked with him for three years, and maybe you're like them. You've been close. You've been listening. You've been learning, but you're not getting it. These guys didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it didn't get it over and over they didn't get it now they're sitting here they realize they've been running for their lives for at least a month since Lazarus was risen from the dead they're scared the king they thought was going to save Israel is in danger of his life and then this king washes their feet are you kidding me no Jew washes another Jew's feet that's the job of a Gentile. Then they hear Jesus say, you know, one of you guys is going to betray me. Shock. And then they, they hear him say to Peter, I'm going away and you can't follow me. And by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me before morning. And the rest of you guys, you're going to desert me. Imagine, imagine the backdrop of John 14. Fear, confusion, perplexity, anxiety, maybe anger, self-questioning. What's going on? Where are you at today on this Christmas morning? I would argue there's a fair percentage in this room that are hurting just like those men. There's hope here, folks. In Christ, King Christ. Jesus knew how much they were in pain. And he knew he was headed to a cross. And he offers them comfort. So let's stand and read the words of comfort from John 14. I'm going to read from the ESV uh, 
Bible from John 14, verse 1 through verse 7, just to get a context. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, typical Thomas, says, we do not know the way you're going. Uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You may be seated. <clears throat> Father, we are we're awed to think that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, the sovereign God of the universe, would, as the song said, come and breathe the dust of this earth and rub shoulders with sinners. And so we, we beg you, please, uh, help us see more of your kindness and uh, be in awe of who you are. We bless your name. We ask, open our eyes to, to behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray this in his name. Amen. So here's what I'm going to argue from John 14, verse 6. We don't have time to set up much context. Um, there's a lot here I want to lay out. And so I, I implore you, please take notes. These, and in fact, you take these five questions and the answers that Jesus brings to these five questions, and what you have is the entire storyline of the gospel right here in one verse. You have, you have literally uh, key elements that you must embrace if you are going to have an eternal home in heaven. Jesus answers our toughest questions and meets our greatest need. So I want to go to the first question. Uh, the O of the acronym is origin. Where did I come from? The question I want to ponder for a second is where did I come from? Every culture throughout human history has asked this question, where have we come from? And our culture, trust me, has not figured it out yet. Uh, I looked it up in National Geographic and uh, NASA just to ask the question, where did, where did the origin of the universe begin? And both of them basically say it came from a Big Bang in the past, but no one explains where the energy came for the bang and where the particles came as a result of the bang. No one can explain that. And, and I don't know if, if somebody has, I'm unaware of it. Some people say we can't know where we came from. Some people we don't know where we came from, and some people say, I don't care. But Jesus answers that first question, where did I come from, with two words. And those two words for your notes is, I am. He said, I am. Now you might wonder, where do I get that from those two words? I, I want to I walk you through Jesus' three years with his disciples. And 23 times you will find Jesus using those two words, in the Greek, sometimes it's just one word. He is saying, 
I am, I am, I am. Seven times he uses the phrase I am with, the, with a, a metaphor like I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. I'm the light of life. I'm the door of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. When he, in the context of Lazarus coming back from the dead four days, remember his sister said, surely he stinketh. Four days he comes back to life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on in John 15, uh, I, I am the true vine. What is he saying when he says, I am? Well, it goes back in John uh, chapter 8, verse 58. Jews, he's having a long conversation with the Jews about who he is. They're questioning who he is. What does he say? Before Abraham was, you say it, I am. And he is hearkening back to, to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses wonders, who do I tell the people? Who has sent me? And God says to him, to Moses, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. What is he saying? Yahweh, the word is Yahweh in the Hebrew. It means I am the self-existent creator. I am God. I created. I am sovereign. And Jesus is making that claim. Just in, the, in chapter 6 alone, in the book of uh, Gospel of John, Jesus makes at least six claims that he is God. And to the skeptic, many skeptics say Jesus never said he was God. That is not true. He's claiming he's God. So the answer to, our, to the question, where did I come from, is Christ. He's the creator. He says it in two words. Jesus said uh, to them, uh, this is John 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Well, John said that in John 1, verse 14. Remember? In the beginning, or verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word being Christ. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The point here is Christ creates all things. And our kids need to know this because it has a profound implication of who we are. I need to move on. You are created beings in the mind of God. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 1. Before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you. God knows what he's doing when he creates us. We have been created, according to Genesis 1, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. It is critical to understand, for, especially for our young people, that they are created by God. And you became an individual because in, the, in eternity past... God determined who you would be. He determined your birth order, your parents, your DNA, your sexual identity, your, <clears throat> whether you're male or female, and when you're going to appear on the storyline of history. And no amount of thoughts, 
passions, opinions, experiences, or statements from other people can change the reality that this king said something and, you, and he spoke you into existence just like he spoke the world into existence. We know who we are. We're created beings. But, and it's critical. The next, the, your need here is you need to know your identity the way God defines it. And what does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? Well, here's a few things. You're rational and logical in the way you think. Believe it or not, it's a rare thing to find someone who's not thinking logically. The problem with the logic is it's based on lies when it goes south. We're built to respond and and relate to God. We're built to respond and relate to each other. We're we're built and created to rule and take dominion of of the earth and, and take stewardship. Well, the problem is with our identity is it's marred. The image of God is marred in us. Phil talked about that last night, our need for regeneration we find in Christ. It is critical, I believe, for every person to understand that identity is something that God has defined and humans have marred it by sin and we have a problem. Just because we are not animals, just because we are greater than the animal kingdom, does not mean that we are without a need. The image is marred. we got another problem. But along with that, before I, I get into the details of that, the second question goes to the M of the uh, acronym OMEGA, meaning the, the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? It's not uncommon for me to talk to people that are questioning, why should I stay around? And without meaning in life, it is really, really dark and difficult. Uh, Fifty years ago, uh, we had a family member uh, come to the conclusion that his life had no longer any meaning or purpose. And uh, they found him in the basement with one, each wrist, in a wastebasket full of blood. He ended his life. Why? He didn't understand that there was a meaning to live. Every human heart is asking, why am I here? And Jesus answers the question, two words, I am. We have a God in heaven who knows who you are. He counts the hairs on your head, and he knows your thoughts, and he wants you. Your life matters to him. There's meaning in those, what I would call, providential, unchanging elements of the fingerprints of God creating you, namely, that you are relational, logical, a representative of his, and the image bearer, he wants you to pursue a purpose in life. And what is God's purpose? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to race through this because we, we're, we're already behind time. You need to listen faster. <laughs> Four things, folks. Purpose of life, meaning in life, is not about the fact that you are special. And it's not about, about the fact that God needs you. But God does want you. Number one. 
Purpose number one is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Do not boast. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in what he has, his riches, but boast in this, that you understand and know, say it, me. Are you kidding me? Yahweh God wants you to know him personally, intimately. You have a purpose, and that is to know God. Second, second purpose, God tells Satan in, in Matthew 4, verse 10, he says that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Second reason you exist is to worship God. Now, look at the flow here. If you know God, if you know God for who he truly is, look at this, you are going to worship him. You can't know God without worshiping him. When you see who he is, anybody in Scripture, even sees an angel for that matter, falls on their faith. Isaiah did that in Isaiah 6. He says, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, woe is me, I'm undone. Third thing, first, first purpose is to know God. Second purpose is to worship God. Third purpose is to glorify him. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Listen to what God has to say to Israel. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Created people have an identity and a purpose. And it is specifically to give glory to God. Now, how do you give glory to God? Well, there's a myriad of ways to do that. But I would encourage you to think about this. To glorify God is to give other people a right opinion of him. To glorify God is to give other people a right opinion of him. In other words, you act like your dad. You walk like your dad. You talk like your dad. You have the same mannerisms as your daddy. You act like him. Know God, worship God, glorify God. Lastly, and this is how you define success. If you, you want to teach your kids, this is how you define success. Please God. Simple. End of the day. Everybody's mad at you. All the kids in school are making fun of you because you believe in a creator. They believe in evolution. What do you think? Did I speak for the Lord? Did I please him? Success. Everybody's mad. Doesn't matter. Success. Success. Please God. Jesus said this. He, this is John 8, 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do that which pleases him. Paul said the same thing. I don't care if I'm dead or alive. I'm going to please God. That's uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. The idea here is you have a purpose. There is meaning to your life. But there's another problem, same problem. You cannot know God. You cannot worship God. You cannot glorify. Well, you can glorify God, according to 1 Peter 2, if you don't know Christ. But you can't please God if you don't have Christ as your Savior. There is meaning in this life, but if you are not living for the glory of God, 
you are not fulfilling your purpose. And that's a problem. And your heart will know it. That leads us to question number three. You see, you cannot fulfill your life's purpose unless you answer question number three, which is about ethics. You see, Jesus answers our toughest questions and meets our greatest need, the question of ethic. And what, what, what I mean by that is the question is, how do I get right and live right? What is the right way to live? What's right and wrong? How do I understand justice and injustice? We have some attorneys in this, in this room. We have healthcare professionals in this room. We have all kinds of engineers in this room. And plus, we have homeschool moms. And, uh, and I've learned one thing. You never get in a debate with a homeschool mom because she knows more than you do. But here's this idea of what's best, what's right, what's good, what's bad. Every culture wrestles with this question. Now, you could say our, our culture is not doing that anymore. Hold on. We are obsessed with rights, and we are demanding rights of other people. You listen to the culture, and p- people are angry. Nobody can be angry if they haven't made an ethical conclusion because anger is the root of a judgment. So we're in the throes of this ethical question. Well, Jesus answers the question, how do I get right and live right? We, as a culture, aren't getting it. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. But when a Jewish mind hears the phrase, the way, it, it just, again, like the words I am, the words the way, dings them. All the way back, all the way back, all the way back. A Jewish mind has been trained to search for the way from the beginning of birth. I am the way. Well, what is that? What is he doing when he thinks the way? When Jesus says the way, what is he referring to? Well, what Deuteronomy 5:33 says, God says, now this, he's given the Ten Commandments. Chapter 6 is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. So here's the commandments. Here's the application. In the middle, in chapter 5, verse 33, God says this. Make, after the, uh, I'm sorry, you shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live. The way is referring to thinking, bleeding, living, breathing, obeying God's word. The way. Walk in the way. John 25 had it right. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all, all the day long. When Jesus said, I am the way... Thomas and others knew exactly what he's saying. This is no longer about this. The way is about Jesus, a real person to embrace, to know, and to walk in union with. Jesus is the way. I am the way. That's, that's these, this the idea of horizontal 
living in life, but he also means something else when he says, I am the way, and you can't come with me. What he's saying is, tomorrow, I'm going to the cross. The way for, for us, our hope, our only hope is the cross. Jesus went to the cross. If you look at the cross now, if you're a believer, Colossians 2 verse 14 says, your sins are paid for. They're nailed to the cross. And Jesus said, I am the way, meaning I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the tomb, and I'm busting out of that tomb. Yes, amen. And I'm going back to the right hand of God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's the answer to the question of ethics. He is truth personified. Listen to Proverbs 8. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice. Listen to the psalmist from 119. I will never forget. Here's a guy who knows the way. Here's a guy who loves the way. 176 verses, he's talking about the way. And he says, I will never forget your precepts, the way. For by them you have given life. The Hebrew mind knew that life came from God's word, the way. And Jesus now says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Paul, uh, Phil said this last night. He's the way from God to man. And I think it's John 6, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. He is the way from God to become a man. And now he's the way for man to go to God. Hallelujah for that. He is the truth personified. John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he answers the question, where did I come from? And he gives us identity. He answers the question, what is meaning? And he gives us purpose. But remember, broken people, sinful people can't, can't can't unless they have Christ and so what Jesus answered I am the way and the truth gives us is redemption and sanctification redemption and sanctification what is he saying he he redeems us listen to the gospel from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Because Christ died for our sins, we can by faith receive the gift of forgiveness for our sin. You can't save yourself. All all we can do is plead and cry out for God to give us the mercy for grace to ask for forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him, to the believer, you are in Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus, at the beginning of his message, at the beginning of his, of his uh, preaching life, listen to what he says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel, in the good news. And this whole idea of omega is a, a compilation or a summary of the gospel. What does repent mean? It means that I'm, I recognize I'm going this way, a way of rebellion. I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. I, 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 I'm not a sinner because I sin. Let me say it again. I, I sin because I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't, I'm not a sinner just because I did a sin. By nature, we're sinners. Repentance says, I know that. I'm worthless and broken without Christ. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm also turning from my uh, intention or thought that I could ever save myself, and I'm going to receive the forgiveness for my sin. And I'm also, by God's grace, taking the free gift of the righteousness of God by faith. That's where this answer, the question of how do I get right and live right is answered in redemption. And sanctification is a fancy word that just says God walks with us to help us become more and more like him. Phil talked about the hope of reversal last night. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so I want to appeal to you, especially to the person who's familiar with Jesus. Maybe you've been walking alongside the church. Maybe you say you're a believer or a Christian. But yesterday, not, last week I asked someone, receptionist in, a, in an office, I, I just, we were talking and I said, do you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Her eyes gave the answer. She looked down and she said no. And then I said, would you like to know? And she didn't even answer. A person who doesn't answer that question is in trouble. Um, how do I get right and live right? It's a gift. You know, uh, years ago there was a, a called, uh, an incident in Texas called Baby, uh, Baby Jessica, I think is her name. Uh, remember that, Daniel? Do you? Uh, 18 months old, fell in a well 22 feet deep. Can you imagine? 55 hours of nonstop hard work to catch this and find this baby and get her out. The, you'll never, if you watch the video, you won't forget it. When that little baby comes out of that hole, the crowd around begins to clap and cheer multiple times. Now, what were they cheering for? Oh, for the baby's amazing uh, ability to climb out of that 22 feet? Absolutely not. The same is with the gospel. Our only hope is that God would reach down into the pit of our sinful hearts and turn on the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the question of ethics. Jesus answers our toughest questions and meets our, our greatest need. The next question is, where am I going when I die? Well, we just answered it for the person who is affirmative in their faith. We answered that question. Jesus, in his last prayer, can you imagine? Imagine. Your grandpa's dying, and he knows it, and you know it. And he bows with you and prays. 
You'd listen, wouldn't you? Jesus' last prayer with his disciples in John 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life. And now we're going back to, to meaning. Listen to this. That you, they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life. Where am I going when I die? Is answered in the, the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is using the Greek word zoe, which means eternal life. It's not life like breathing. It's a very different kind of life. You see, when we started with the, the O and the M question, we were talking about life just breathing. Jesus has now switched the subject to eternal life. Our need is not only for eternal life, answered in the question, where am I going when I die? When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, what do you get? You get hope. You get peace. What is, what is that? Peace is a settled confidence. A settled confidence. That's what First Peter talks about. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's Colossians 3.5. Several years ago, someone uh, emailed me and asked me to go visit uh, someone uh, from my high school days. He was dying. So I went. I, could, I, I couldn't picture the guy. I couldn't even picture him. Maybe it's 45 years, I think it was, since I had probably walked with him. But I couldn't remember him. But I, I was shocked when I, when I got to this hospital bed. Here's this old man. Now, he was, he, was, he was hardly able to get out of bed, and he was barely 60 years old. Uh, I, I, I met him. He was excited to see me. He knew me. I didn't really know him. But we had a connection because we were in the same town. I talked for him with him for three hours about meeting Christ and how he could meet Christ with confidence. He died a couple weeks later. And I believe, by God's grace, that man grabbed the gospel at the very end. He just could hardly imagine, as evil as he was, that a king would receive him into glory. Amen. Amen is right. Where am I going when I die? Answer, I am the life. What do you get? Hope and peace. If you don't, if you don't say yes to Jesus, if you don't bow to Jesus, listen to me. This is serious. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Quickly, Jesus answers our toughest questions and meets our greatest needs. We move on to the A question. Who has the authority to answer these questions? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Not the culture. Not the preacher. And not your conscience. And not your opinion. <clears throat> and not what your neighbor has said. Only Jesus. No man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, except through me. Exclusive claim? Absolutely. 
Rule out Buddha? Absolutely. Rule out other religions? Absolutely. Only Jesus. He claimed to be God. He showed he was God. In Mark, in chapter Mar in, uh, Mark, in the whole book, he showed himself to have power over nature, disease, demons, and death. And he broke out of the grave. He is God. He demonstrated that he is a God of authority. And we can believe his word. And he told his disciples in verses 1 through 6, he said, believe me, don't worry. Why? He's a trustworthy God. Well, who has the authority to answer only Jesus? What do you get is confidence. Have confidence. Confidence for what? For whatever you face. Listen, he said this. Jesus said these, these seven verses when he knew that room was full of 11 guys that were scared to death and confused and maybe even angry. They had been fussing with who's going to be the best among us. He knew that. But he also knew this. They were headed for five, six decades of suffering. And he says, trust me. Trust me. Because I'm a trustworthy God. Jesus is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is eternal life, and he offers us hope and peace at this Christmas time. Will you bow the knee? Have you bowed the knee? If you don't, the consequences are serious. Jesus answers the toughest questions and meets our greatest need. And your need is to worship him, to know him, to glorify him, to please him. Father, we thank you for your kind grace. Your grace is amazing. You are amazing. And we lift up your name and declare you to be who you say you are, namely the Son of God, the Most High, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Father of Eternity. Your words are true. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever, and they bring us peace and comfort when we surrender and believe it. And I pray that this crowd would embrace the truth, walk in the way, and find eternal life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.